0: I cannot explain how hard the jungle is physically. If you imagine being at your absolute limit every single day, carrying on most days Bergens that are 120, 140 pounds. It feels like your shoulders are getting ripped off. That's heavy. And that is, and you're patrolling in that heat, in the humidity. The jungle is probably the most taxing environment Mm. I've ever soldiered in. You have to remember everyone that starts on that first day of selection are, already, Royal Marines Commandos, Parachute Regiment. Everyone at the beginning physically is capable of passing that course. So it then comes down to mindset and skills. If you are not good at your admin, you will degrade so quickly that you just won't
1: function. Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the Revolutionary Event Crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. After eight years and three tours as a Special Forces soldier, Simon Jeffries bagged himself a well-paid job in the city. He had seemingly made the transition from battlefield to boardroom very successfully. But he felt trapped in this new life cycle and wanted to break out the comfort zone. Simon shares his stories of the gruelling Special Forces selection, his life at war and finding a new purpose in coaching others. This is the eventful life of Mr. Simon Jeffries. Jeffers, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, very much. uh, I'm intrigued about this one, your journey and your path that you've been on. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to roll all those back. Um, Where did you grow up and how did you get into the Special Forces? I grew up in rural
0: Worcestershire, so small farm. Um, My parents had a small dairy farm. Pretty normal upbringing. Definitely very much centred around the outdoors. So spent basically my childhood out Hunting, fishing, camping, um, sport, played a lot of rugby. And then, and I always, and I cannot tell you exactly where it came from, but from 11 years old, maybe even younger, I knew that all I wanted to do was join the military. Whether that's watching, it's probably a combination of growing up in the outdoors, loving adventure, and honestly, probably watching too many 80s action films like Mm. Sneaking Down, watching Terminator, Commando, Mm. uh, Rambo. um so i knew that was my path. that's all i ever wanted to do school college traveled lived in new zealand lived in canada um just like cleaning rooms doing outdoor stuff and then came back and joined the marines in 2008 so went through basic training in 2008
1: how old how old were you 24 24 So was a little bit older Mm. and was that a positive for you do you think being that age a little bit older rather than 18 19. yeah Yeah. i I take my hat off to anyone that goes into the forces 16 17 18
0: i think because you're immersed straight away you know shock of capture into a completely different world whereas having a bit of experience life experience having done other things i would say definitely stood me in good stead going Mm. in a little bit older I think that was probably i think between 22 24 is almost an ideal age because you've got some life experience yeah but you're still young enough to yeah. take the battering on your body
1: which gets harder the older yeah. you get and did you have to apply how does it work did you go in and apply so right i want to get involved in this or did you have someone who said oh there's i'll open a door for you or do you know what funny so you you just go through the application process i'd always said
0: i was going to apply and go in as an officer and the very first thing that you have to do is a psychometric test in the careers office and i am really fucking bad at maths <laughs> and i completely i failed the math i came back and i failed the math section and in that moment it was almost when you've been driving to something for years and years mm. and they're like you failed the math section you can either wait six months and apply again or you can just join as a recruit as a bod mm. i was like i'll just join yeah. and honestly that changed that sort of crossroads once I'd been in and the experiences that I've had, that's the best thing that ever happened to mm. me. And I'm sure, you know, you don't know the difference. So officers who go in and do it, have great experiences. But to me, from what I saw, you get a lot more opportunities or different jobs open up yeah. to you being just a body, I guess, just a soldier. So a I didn't know officer. that. So basically you could go in and apply and go straight for an officer if you pass some exams. So you go, so yeah, there's two parts. So officers generally, You can become, once you, so say you can go through the military, get to a certain rank and then do late entry. It's called LE, late entry officer. But generally officers will go, officers will join as officers and soldiers will join as soldiers. Mm. And it's just a different, it's still, you know, arduous training. They just have the extra leadership or officer component. Mm. Pros and cons with it there's more pay up front the probably con is for a lot of officers maybe your first couple of years you get to do boots on the ground stuff but then you're transitioning more to planning more desk based Mm. type of roles Mm. unless you're very good at managing
1: your career and that just never interested Mm. so when you look back do you think that was a good move for you going straight in at the bottom yeah absolutely okay and tell me your sort of day to day when you went in there, were they like screaming and shouting at you to do certain stuff and training hard? What, what was, it? was it? Was there bullying in there back then? Well, no, to, I'd say when I went in 2008, I would,
0: I would almost say that it was a good mix at that point. You know, stories from back in the 80s, yeah. I think yeah, it was harsh and there probably was more of that bullying culture, if you go on the stories yeah. that you're told. I think now, and again, this is anecdotal, but speaking to people on training teams it's gone too far the other way yeah. it's gone a bit too soft in what they're restricted on doing i think when i was there seemed like a pretty good balance like mm. it was fucking hard but it didn't i never witnessed bullying like there was no bullying yeah. It and you didn't need it like it was hard enough if mm. you weren't good enough or suitable you weren't going to make it through mm. and it is less about the shouting And it's less about the physical. When people think about the military, what they think is the hard physical things. Mm. So, you know, commando training, the commando tests at the end, the 30 miler or the bottom field thrashings. Yes, they are hard. But what breaks most people is if you imagine for eight months when you go into Limpston Royal Marine recruit training for eight months, every single day, you're just waiting to get thrashed for something like you, you're just at their kind of mercy the whole mm. time. And things like end of the day, you're already knackered from whatever you've been doing. Someone's messed up. They get the entire troop, so thirty guys, to empty everything in their lockers over the balcony. So you've got thirty guys, multiple all of their kit, and then they just cover it in mud and water, mix it all up. And it's like right, see you in the morning, five a.m. for a full <laughs> inspection, and then you spend all night. <laughs> What You're basically a laundromat. You're yeah. washing, ironing, folding. That's what breaks people. Mm. It's 3am polishing boot pipes in the toilets yeah. to make them shiny. That's the shit that breaks people. It's not the physical stuff. It's getting people tired, doing boring tasks,
1: get them wet and cold. That is what breaks people. Did you know before you went in there that you were mentally tough? Or did you have to find out? I
0: think so. mental toughness is basically your ability to cope with discomfort and so people talk about mental toughness and we associate it with certain things Mm. so again you talk about the military people assume that if you've been in the military you're mentally tough which is true in that narrow spectrum so example is and you could apply this to business sports whatever it is you are very good in on operations on jobs within that role and then the rest of life is falling apart crap relationships things are going wrong they haven't got that mental toughness across all aspects a yeah. so mental toughness could be having difficult conversations with your wife or partner mm. to get through a tough batch instead of shying away from yeah. it. so it comes in okay. all of that yeah. and i think true mental toughness is is less about the reason i got through that course the reason i got through special forces is because it meant so much to me i had a deep desire to get through it and it aligned with who i was as a person like i saw myself as a soldier and so when you have that like you'll have seen it in the bit you know you're very successful as a business person you will have been through some fucking hard times to do that and the only reason you can get through that and say that you're mentally tough in that aspect is because you believed in it you believed in yourself and you believed in what you're doing and that's the only way you get through it Mm. so it's that mental toughness comes when you are following something that you really believe in and you're passionate about because then you can withstand that hardship Mm. so i think that's i think to a degree in physical sense because i'd already you know playing rugby things like that Mm. set you up well for cult you can cultivate all of these skills but to an to an extent so much of it comes from that internal like what are you willing
1: to do to get to where you want to be in whatever it is yeah just rolling back there. You said you were training. You went into the Royal Marines. Mm. You were training for eight months. The eight months was to get into what? Just the Royal Marines. Just so, the th- okay. So
0: Royal Marines Commando, same as parachute regiment. That's the longest basic training in okay. the world.
1: So you were you you went in as a Royal Marine. Yeah. And you wanted to become a Royal Marine Commando. No, you. So you go it. So Royal Marines Commando is it's the same thing. Like Royal Marines, yep. Royal
0: Marines. Basically, it's split into two phases. The basic training is fifteen weeks that's essentially the Royal Marines training. And then they, I think this is the way it is, the, the commando training is the last portion the commando tests. But right. anyone who goes through that's essentially what you become. Mm. And then after that, you apply for special forces, if that's a route that yeah. you might go down.
1: Okay. So the special forces are the creme de la creme. Yes. Yeah. And did you, how long were you in the Royal Marines before you you, you thought, you know what, I want to push boundaries again. I want to go to the Champions League of... Of, of this and hit the Special Forces? I did
0: a year as a General Marine, and then I did a selection to be, I always wanted to apply and try Special Forces. I didn't feel like I had enough experience at that point. So I did a year as a General Marine, and then I did a selection for Special Forces Communicator. So you're still a raw Marine, but yeah. you go through a six month selection to then work with Special Forces. So yeah. you're attached to a Special Forces Squadron, providing like the signal tactical signal signals basically Mm. so i did that so i went down to pool after a year as a general marine did two years as an sfc and then i did selection after that
1: Mm. tell me about selection there are so many rumors about how tough selection is i want to i want to delve deep into this Was, was selection for special forces it was sbs that you went that you that you got selected for tell me about the how tough that is to get in there
0: yeah, it's just, I mean, it's the same now, Special Forces, SBS and SAS. It's been a joint selection for many years. So it's the same course. Just at the end of it, you just go to your respective units. Mm. It comes back to the same as Raw Marines training. It it is a very hard course. And the only way that you get through it is that deep desire. So it starts off with the hills phase in brecon which everyone that's probably the most publicized part of it marching around heavy loads and again yes physically it is taxing you're carrying heavy weight and it is taxing on the body but maybe the hardest part of it it's like groundhog day for three weeks you are you basically wake up i did it in winter so it's dark you wake up 5 a.m go to the cookhouse, imagine like a greasy cooked breakfast. That you're trying to force down because you need the calories. And then you drag yourself down to the, the parade square where the vehicle, the four tonne trucks are, sitting in the drizzling rain in the dark. Get on the trucks, drive for an hour or two hours. You're trying to doze, get a bit of sleep on there. You Get out, your name's called, show me where you are on a map, point it out. We're like, right, off you go. And then that's you on your own for eight hours, trudging around the shittest mm. terrain mm in what like marshy boggy tripping over rain wind it's Mm. just shit on your own with your own thoughts in wales in wales and again that's what breaks a lot of people it's just that monotony because you will start to question you're like why am i doing this it's not like going to say a sports tournament where you know when athletes they think of the hard part is whatever they're doing on that day yeah but it's not well, it is, but actually it's the three years in the closed doors with no crowd, the monotonous day in, day out training. That's what the boredom, the grind, that's what people find hard and won't stick at. And the only way you stick at it and get through it is, I believe in this so much and I'm going to pass this course and you've got to want to pass it for the sake of passing it itself. If you're trying to do it for more cash, for prestige, for the Q like any of those external factors, You'll just quit because mm. it's so shit when you're doing it you have to have such a deep desire it's an obsession you can't care about anything else mm. all you can care about is passing that course mm. and so you do the whales phase and that in itself is the most publicized but it's it's not selection all that is is a culling phase to get rid of people who aren't suitable to go to the jungle phase and the jungle phase is selection like that is
1: selection so give me an example how many people went into the welsh phase
0: we on mine there was 222 something like that how many
1: of that broke and buckled i think
0: we took and it was quite a big amount we took 82 or 83 to the jungle
1: okay so rough yeah over half dropped out on that initial phase Mm. so that 80 so when they dropped out did any of those boys look at you now and, and go, I failed or they broke me or how did they feel?
0: No. So luck and in, luck does pay into it. Some yeah. people are injured and they're devastated by it, but they'll come back again. Yeah. Some people, I think it's just a bit of an awakener. Maybe they didn't realize exactly what it was going to be. And or, or it's, it's a realization for, for some people. And I've had this conversation with people. They go on and they realize... Actually, I, it's not that I don't want it enough.
1: Like yeah. it's not they—they they think they do, and then they go on it, and they realize no. But you actually nailed it a minute ago because if you're going there for an extra pound note to earn more money, or you're doing it for prestige to say I've, I've got through, they are the wrong factors. You're not going to do it. Yeah, it's like you on your you know business journey. Yeah, if you have to be obsessed, I'm obsessed obsessed in business. And when yeah. you're obsessed, you make things work. You have yeah. to make it work because you didn't.
0: You know, you're not going. to, You don't make a million overnight. Yeah, it's, and if that you're happened. if that's what you're there for, if you're mm. like. I have to get those results, you're not going to stick with it. You're not going to go through the dark times. Yeah. So you you need to, and it's the same with any goal, if you are only obsessing at the end result and you're not engaged with the process or can find enjoyment with the process. And here's the thing, you know, I'm talking about all this and saying it's hard and there's a lot of sacrifice. I would say I enjoyed the process of training for selection almost as much, if not more, than passing it. Yeah. And the you, journey you, isn't the it? journey yeah yeah i love training for it and building up to it i didn't see it as a sacrifice because again that's what i cared about that's what i believed in mm-hmm. and, and that testing myself and going through it is so much satisfaction in that
1: mm-hmm.
0: that those are the that's how that's what gets you through. you need that if you want to achieve something whatever it is you have to find joy in the process mm-hmm. otherwise what's the point
1: it's miserable mm-hmm. like I agree totally agree how old were you when you went when you went for this selection
0: i was 26 i think 27 26. yeah 26 so when you
1: passed did they actually say to you after the three weeks in in wales what you've passed now you're going to the jungle
0: no no so th- so basically welsh phase culling it's just to get your plane ticket to the jungle and then jungle is selection so the jungle is six weeks two weeks kind of build up and then four weeks living in the trees doing it's basically soldiering that's what's really testing testing your soldiering and at the end of that if if you can make it past the first week so in the first week it's so hot so humid they basically thrash you around to again cull more people and every day you just go and pass guys on drips they're just part they're just gone yeah. they're just down there's just medical people like bringing yeah. them back around if you can get past that first week physically you can probably get to the end of the jungle bar any injury and then once you're at the end you fly out you still don't know if you passed you fly back to hereford and then they bring you into a room and names get called out and it, i think it changes each time but the names that were called out on mine were the people that have failed and we had so on the initial selection 220 odd starting wales and 17
1: is that right? So it went from 220, but down to 80. 80 went to the jungle, down to 17. Yeah, wow. And then after that, it's you don't really
0: people don't tend to fail after that. It's kind of continuation and other bits. But if if you pass the jungle,
1: you pretty much passed. Selection. Amazing. I want to roll back to the jungle. I don't want to miss skip this bit out. You've got boom. Forget six weeks there. I want to know what you know for someone like myself. I'm trying to get my head around right being in a jungle. Number one. Yeah. Number two, I'm thinking snakes, I'm thinking insects. I'm thinking, where well, am I going to sleep? Am I sleeping on the floor? Did you just explain to me what it looks like and feels like. What have you got? Have you just got a backpack? Have you got uh, anyone bringing you food? Any cook, Anyone cooking for you? What, what is it? So, And whereabouts is it? We were out in Brunei. In Brunei, okay.
0: So it's going to be scorching it's, and you, humid. You're soaked. Yeah. So from the moment you wake up, so you basically have two sets of rig, two sets of clothing. You have a dry set and you're working set. So each day you put your working set on which is immediately soaked in sweat and then at night if you are not on hard routines so basically hard routine is you're fully tactical and you just sleep on the floor in your clothes you just lie down on the floor and go to sleep.
1: Were you you happy laying on the floor getting a kid?
0: You're so knackered. I cannot explain how hard the jungle is physically if you imagine being at your absolute limit every single day like just on that i would say it took me a year 12 months plus to fully uh, to fully feel back physically to pre the jungle mm. it taxes your adrenal system gets so smashed mm. because you can't get enough because tr- you're on rations the whole time pretty much getting enough calories you know you're carrying on most days bergens that are 120 140 pounds, which is this
1: broke that down. What's that? 2.2, what f- 40 kg, yeah, 40, 50 kg, yeah, 40 50 on kg, your back,
0: on your back. It feels like your shoulders are getting ripped off. That's heavy, and that is. And you're patrolling, doing tactical patrolling in that heat, in the humidity. It's just it's incredibly. The jungle is the one of them, mo- probably the most taxing environment have mm. ever soldiered in mm. and having the pressure of selection on top of that it's why it's there for a reason because it's so testing if you can make it through that and soldier to a good standard that's why it's there because the end product is special forces
1: well 80, 80 people went into that and 63
0: didn't make it and that's and that's people that are you have to remember everyone that starts on that first day of selection are already Royal marines commandos parachute regiments People who have done Afghans, Iraqs, like experiences, everyone at the beginning, and this is where the mindset comes in, physically is capable of passing that course. So it then comes down to mindset and skills and really the skills side of it. And I think this applies across life. It's the basics. Like, you know, we say special forces. It's it's nothing really special about it. It's actually the opposite. It's doing the basics very well. Mm. And the jungle is very good for doing that if you are not good at your admin like like simple things like keeping yourself clean in those conditions and looking after yourself you will degrade so quickly that you just won't function so getting the basics right the very basics of soldering, of patrolling of doing contact drills that's what it's there to test because that's once you have that solid foundation that's what you build everything else from Mm. how many days were you in the jungle for so it's four you're in there basically for four weeks solid Jeez, so on. imagine what you look like after <laughs> four weeks in the same clothes no washing cam cream
1: give just. me an example of the food you said rations a minute ago what sort of rations did you have <laughs> Mate, delicious yeah <laughs> <laughs> tell rations, me what's it tell me what was rations in your ration, are yeah.
0: rations are basically get your breakfast your main meal and then a load of snacks and it's just i, I don't know there's maybe four thousand calories it's just calories like
1: you they, say you say rations though you're there with a the tin pot cooking it up in the morning it was it coming in a packet? Or cold, it?
0: yes yeah, so it's in a packet okay. so it's either you boil boil in a pot of water you can eat it cold so a lot of the time you are just eating it cold yeah. um but yeah stick it in water boil in the bag eat it out of the bag it's all packaged it tastes they're a lot better than they were now they're actually all right yeah but it's just calories you just need to get as many calories
1: on board mm. as you can and what were you actually doing in there though? you're waking up give me an example of a day you waking up are you are you shooting in there are you are you practicing rolling around and looking and maps and just I just want to get an overview yeah. it's not my world so I just want to get an overview of what your sort of day was just imagine basic soldiering skills so exactly
0: that can you navigate with a map and compass and imagine being in a jungle with the trees where everything looks the same it is so hard so hard to navigate in the jungle So it might be that you're doing a patrol X. So you are basically, they just give you points to get to. So as a patrol, you just need to navigate around to different points, carrying heavy loads. So again, being knackered, being fatigued, try not to think about the 140 pounds on your back, pulling your shoulders off, trying (laughs) to think and understand map to ground, being very focused. You have to be on it all the time, being aware of your surroundings. How far have I gone? What distance am I covering? What's my pacing? You know, whereabouts am I? Or another day maybe doing range work. So it's just practicing. And again, the the general military practices as well, it's just break contact drills, i.e., you're a small patrol, you're walking along, you come under enemy contact, and so you have to return fire and then extract yourself from that situation. So laying down, covering fire, you know, heat. Everyone seen the film Heat? Mm. Like that was probably one of the best examples. That scene where they're doing the the bank robbery Mm. and they come into fire. If you watch them they are, one will move while well, one of is firing and they'll just bounce. So you've always got someone laying down, covering fire while the other person moves. So again, very basic drills. You, you don't do anything. People have this view that you're doing these crazy things. It's not It's yeah. very simple tactical manoeuvres, but it's how well can you execute those in a very testing environment yeah. under a lot of pressure. Yeah. And it's live rounds. So... You don't want to get it
1: wrong. No. So give an example. So if someone's in there now and you're, you're eighty, of you are you seeing people put their answers? I've had enough. Get me out of here. How, how's it work? They, yeah. Or, so people just voluntary withdrawal
0: So some people will get medically taken out if you know they've gone down or can't cope. Yeah. But apart from that, you don't get failed. It's not like, oh, you failed. Get out. Yeah. That doesn't happen to the end in the jungle unless you are unsafe and got pulled out for a safety reason then you'll just carry on through, but people will just quit. And a big thing that gets people is during that entire process, you don't really get any feedback on how you're doing. Mm. And that's very hard for a lot of people. You think about life, how often do you not get any feedback Mm. on how you're doing at Something through school, through everything we're doing, we usually get feedback. And because it's such a hard environment and you mess up all the time, people get in their own heads. And when they've made mistakes, they just think, oh, well, I failed. So what is the point? Why continue putting myself through hell? And then what usually happens is they, they quit, they leave the jungle, and then you have a, a leaving interview with the commanding officer, and they ask you, how do you think you were doing? And like, Oh, terrible, that's why I quit. Like, No, actually, you were doing pretty good. You were on, on road to pass. But, th- but that's part of it. People yeah. get in there. And, you know, everyone messes up. Probably the, one of the worst days I had. We were late, we were due to meet our DS, the instructor at a certain point. And so we were, were, kind of rushing to get there. We had to fill up water and all the patrol were across. There's a, a big log bridge that we had to cross across the stream. Um, they were all one side of me and another guy were filling up our water bottles and as I was walking back up the muddy bank, I kind of slipped and dropped my water bottle. And one of the the other guys in the patrol told me afterwards, he said, he turned to one of the lads and said, oh, Jefferson's having a bad day, isn't he? He'll probably fall off that bridge next. Funny old thing, come across, walking across this massive log rope bridge, slipped, fell about 10 feet off this bridge, luckily into the mud. But then I was covered in mud. My weapon was covered in mud. (laughs) Get up. Meet the DS. What's the first thing he says? Right, everyone, strip down your weapons to so show me your weapon, which should be gleaming clean yeah. at any time. So it's like you just hand over a weapon that's covered in mud. Yeah. And you can't do anything. You just, you're like, well, pff, that's a black mark, but yeah. you just got to get on with it. But I never, to me, I was never going to pull myself off. I was going to make it to the end. And if I wasn't good enough,
1: I wasn't good enough.
0: Mm. But those are the kind of things people just get in their own heads. Mm. And they're like, what's the point?
1: Can you get to the end of that four weeks and then say, sorry, you didn't pass?
0: yeah so that's what happens so you have the however i can't remember how many finished the jungle phase but then it's after that you come back to the uk and you're in a room they just call names and the names are called
1: that is brutal yeah it is that is really brutal so you you could do all of the whales thing you could get out to the jungle four weeks being pushed mentally physically that you're broken for them to come back to land in and say, sorry, mate, you didn't make it. Yeah,
0: And I know people have gone through that twice and had two, they call it a stand-up, stand-up yeah. fails. They've gone that and had two fails. So they've done it all again. And it's bad enough the first time, doing it a second time.
1: And failed the second time. And
0: failed the second time, oh, time as well. mate. But that it's... <laughs> that is... <laughs> That is brutal, isn't it? Yeah, I know I know guys... That are what did they through?
1: fail on? Give me an example. So look, you, you, you've you smashed whales, you've smashed the jungle, you're all camaraderie, you get to the end of the jungle, you're all looking at each other again, you know what, I, I think I've got through this. What would they fail on? Your s- skills, basically. So the whole
0: time you're being watched, so the DS are there with the notepad and they're just constantly making notes. So it could be anything, you know, tactical, patrolling skills. A lot of it is on the ranges, so how you are in those break contact drills. So essentially the kind of firefight training a lot of that is make or break so if you don't do very well on those that's usually a big black mark so often it's just the the usual reason is you know you clear, you haven't got enough experience or you're falling short on yeah. these skills go away practice them and then come back on wow. and have another go so it's usually a skill mm. sometimes it is a face doesn't fit they have tried as much as possible to remove that out as in to remove that bias so half or towards the end you switch D- your ds your instructors mm. that are assigned to you so a different person's looking
1: because mm. you do it does happen you know so you roll back there you said if, if a face doesn't fit yeah that's the same as in with you're playing rugby at a high level and your coach actually doesn't like you yeah it doesn't pick you sit on the bench or- every week. You go to another team, he plays you first, then you end up playing for England or, or, or top yeah. level. Is that the same yeah. here? Okay.
0: I think it's the same. They try and remove it by putting those parameters in place, but it's human nature. We naturally warm to some people yeah, okay. and not to others. And you see it, you know, James was in was in Royal Marine as well. You see it in basic training. If the training team, you know, for Royal Marines or whatever, if the training team likes you and generally, if you're fit lad, mm. you know, if you do... You, you get more passes yeah. on stuff, you know. That they, when they're doing kit inspections, you make, you know, a little misdemeanor. They find something or like. But if they don't like you, they will find something of you yeah. every time, and, and they would thrash yeah. you until you leave. Basically, yeah. and it's it shouldn't. Sometimes it's a tough one. Sometimes it's warranted with people that probably shouldn't be there. But when it's not warranted, it's tough. Yeah, that's really hard because someone's getting hammered basically just because that person. And like I said, hopefully that is mitigated by the DS changing because then they get that fresh yeah. person seeing them and like, well, actually, I think they're a good bloke. Yeah.
1: But it does still it does still yeah. happen. So you finish the four weeks, you fly straight back to London. How long is it until you get the nod to say, yes, you passed? So, you, yeah, you fly back to the UK yeah. and then you've got another
0: three, roughly three months um, Without but, knowing, but you know, well you've, once you pass the jungle, you pretty much you'd have to do you'd have to mess up pretty badly to then fail after that. So you pretty much know at that point, and then you've got three months of your parachute training and various other bits, mm. and then you're kind of done
1: and off to your unit. So you pretty much know at that okay. point. Okay, and you say off to unit. When's the day when they say? Uh, how does it work? Is it like you are now in the special forces? You are now in the SBS. You're now in the SAS. Did you know your route before yeah. you wanted to okay so you choose before um you when I did it I don't know if it's changed
0: now that you put in so you go I'm you know you're going on you choose your unit beforehand yeah. just go through a selection and then you pass and then so guys going to pool go on to pool and then yeah. guys going to SES, go to Hereford and then you're just in your job basically okay in your
1: role. and do you get what sort of what sort of money was it compared in the royal Marine to then being selected and say well, I'm now in the SBS
0: you get spec
1: pay so you just get um well it's
0: funny they call it retention pay mm. so you probably get i can't actually remember you're probably getting an extra 15 grand a year maybe okay. depending it depends what you get it depends the what, level, yeah. what level what level you're at beforehand yeah. but it is so generally for most people they're getting more but because they call it retention pay and it does work because if so in the military. If you want to leave, you need to give a year's notice, mm. which is bonkers. You've got to give yeah. a
1: year's notice if yeah. you've had enough. Yeah.
0: So unless you've got you know special circumstances, you
1: give a year to leave. So you've got twelve months. And if you hand your notice in, they're not going to like you for the next twelve months. Mm. Or are they, or are they, are they. No, I haven't seen that. That no, doesn't okay. really come into it because
0: people leave for you know if you've got a valid reason, you just want to leave or had enough. Yeah. But you lose that retention pay. So it traps a lot of people. If you've got a mortgage and things like that, for that oh, entire okay. year, you lose all of that extra special forces pay. So you're still doing the same job for a year and not getting paid. So for
1: example, how much would you be getting as a Royal Marine? Roughly. <sighs> God. What do you get? I mean, when you're in training, yeah. when you first, when you recruit, you're on like 650 quid a month or something. Right. Bonkers. Okay. And Including then, you get your accommodation and food thrown in. Yeah. Okay. But you don't One. do it for... No, 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 you don't yeah. do it. But if you think about it, what's that 12 Gs a year? Roughly, probably less. I don't know what it is. 12 grand a year, plus your food. And your, and then when you want to jump, don't tell me that it's... Much, no, so it goes by that point,
0: because by that point in your career, you're probably like mid-20s. Let's say you're okay. on, most, I would say on average, as, a, as someone going on selection, say you've been in a few years, corporate or something, you're probably mid-20s mid to say so 30 grand yeah okay
1: and then you jump up to your 45s 50s yeah. in the sbs yeah, and sas that's, that's probably roughly the wall ballpark and what do you reckon the package looks like if you were like well i can get free accommodation i get loads of perks i get my food i get all perks everywhere Mate, do you think they package it up or
0: i'd never the entire time as a military i don't think i ever ate on it because
1: shit right okay well on um, camp yeah it's just Shit. Give, me, give me an example of just, what sort of food they would give you it's because, is a canteen? It, it's
0: because it got taken over so a, long, a while ago the military you used to, a set amount of your pay was taken out each month to cover food and food at that time was pretty good, when I joined in 2008 it was just changing Sodexo won the contract yeah. so it got changed to like privatised and so it was then just you go and pay when you go to the cookhouse or galley or whatever it is and it was just because the food was crap, not as many people went and so the less was going into it. So it was just a perpetual,
1: like self-perpetuating. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it was just, yeah, it's just crap. Shame, food. isn't
0: it? Yeah, it Shame. was, yeah.
1: What about, what about the uh, the moment when you get your beret? How does that, is it a big parade or is it?
0: No, just a, yeah, just a very simple, very simple low-key just ceremony on camp because it's all meant to be. And what do they give you? You just get a beret and a belt.
1: Is that right? <laughs> So, oh, Jeff as well yeah. done mate you've done that's you've done <laughs> basically what it yes. is but again it's not it's no not meant one, to be uh, no yeah, one does yeah, it for that it's yeah. not uh, yeah. how did you yeah. feel when you knew you'd passed and given your beret that day to be honest that wasn't for me the defining
0: moment for me was I didn't even know if I'd passed it was actually leaving the tree so finishing in the jungle and you get a helicopter out back to the main army camp so you leave like physically leave the jungle and on that flight out i just remember sat in the helicopter looking out over the tree camp- uh, canopy i just feeling like you know i'd, I'd done everything i'd given everything mm-hmm. i'd done all that i could and so whether or not i passed I knew I couldn't have done any more. Yeah, okay. So if I wasn't good enough, I wasn't good enough. And that, for me, was the most sat. Satisf- that was a more satisfying moment yeah. than actually getting the berry. I was like, well, I did it. I got through the trees, and I gave it my all. So whatever happens. Mm. So it was, you know, it was nice getting that berry. But actually, that was far more fulfilling because it was a it was an internal marker that I checked for myself, yeah. as opposed to an external one. Yeah. Getting handed the berry. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. And it's also, and I think that in life, again, if you if you can, if you can live up to your own, set yourself standards and values, and live up to that, it will be. Much, it's much easier to find happiness and yeah. fulfillment in life than if you're always waiting
1: for someone Externally. else to Agreed. validate what you've done. Yeah, mate, totally agree. So then, when you come back, then you were based down in Pool. What was what was that world like for you down here? And have you been on any tours? Yeah, so I did. I did three tours of afghan
0: um what years i did two it was 2010 11 and then 2014 and 15. was there any one of those tours that stands out in your mind probably the last one that i did because it was the most interesting i had a lot of autonomy on that um so i was working in kabul um in the city and i was attached to a different unit very small there was like eight of us i think living in this sort of small house compound in kabul had a lot of leeway i was training one of the indigenous and the afghan arrest forces and doing jobs with them and it was just a lot of independence you know i was i was driving around i had this battered hilux like truck and you're just driving around the city on your own if i had to go out go to an embassy or go to a camp to, to pick up stuff or whatever and it's just a surreal I just remember you know driving around just thinking how surreal I'm just in Kabul Mm. and Afghan Mm. essentially in a war zone just cutting around on my own Mm. it was just one of those I think you know I'm never gonna do anything like this again
1: was there was there one of those tours that was more violent the ones I'd no not in particular
0: like tours are a real potluck in terms of what happened like whether they're busy whether or not some you can go out with a squadron and not do many jobs and then another squadron can take over and they can be going out all the time so it's very much sort of
1: random mm. what happens so when you say you're going out you so you explain where you were living how what sort of accommodation were you living in what did you have to wear every day were you walking around with machine guns were you, were you just explain. Yeah, them, an overview. Actually,
0: yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's something you're used to. You forget that for people yeah. you're not in, it's <laughs> like a very different... It's For us, so it's very different. The difference between, I think when people think of Afghan, you either think of the big bases like Kandahar or Bastion yeah. and then you have the small outposts um, where guys are just patrolling out each day. For us, we, a lot of the time, you're based out of the big ones like Kandahar um, or Bastion. And so that is camp life the same as everyone else you're just wearing normal military uniform going about the difference between what special forces do and what general uh army or marine units are doing is they will be out in outposts so fobs forward operating bases and their job is to hold that area or try and protect that area and so they will just be walking out and patrolling every day Mm. and actually in many ways that is harder and more dangerous because they're in one position and they're just walking out and they're basically rolling the dice rolling
1: the dice with with afghans putting bombs underneath
0: you're rolling imagine every day i mean this and this is i never did one of those tours imagine every day for six months you are essentially going i might walk out and lose my limbs or get blown up Like every day, imagine the mental toll Mm. on that. Like I'm going to walk out and I don't know if the next step I take, that's me gone. And so that is very taxing. Whereas in special forces, the ironic thing is in many ways, it's a lot safer because you are targeting high profile targets. You will get intelligence on where potentially they are. You will have air assets. You will have drones up watching that target for days, soaking up. The pattern of life so watching what's going on and then you will fly in in the middle of the night night vision goggles land on that you know zero dark 30 land on that compound and arrest that target you know neutralize arrest that target and so you have all of the advantages the deck is stacked in your favor Mm -hmm. whereas for those lads out doing those um you know general in, in the fobs so you know, take my hat off, and remember, a lot of those lads, 17, 18 yeah. years old, doing yeah. that. It's you know, we put I think special forces on a pedestal. Actually, a lot of those guys did a lot more gnarly yeah. stuff yeah. than in many ways a lot of people have done mm. in special forces. So you'll
1: get you'll get intelligence. Who are you going to arrest? <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, this is where politics comes into it. Just whoever they consider to be high profile targets. So I couldn't even tell you mm. because. And this is like, did no one, you care?
1: No, no. Okay,
0: I don't think anyone, like looking back, could I now with when I joined the military. You don't, you don't think about politics. I wanted to join the military because you know it appealed to me—the adventure, the job, whatever—all those aspects. And then you go in and you go and you're sent where you're sent, and you go into those jobs. Let's be, you know, What does anyone think we're an Afghan mm. or Iraq for Really, That's not a noble. Mm. The only people I've met, forces that I've met that really kind of buy into that are some of the American guys who really buy into that. Yeah, we're going out there and taking democracy. It's politics, yeah. it's business, yeah. it's cash that drives all these things. Mm. Like morally, could I go now and do some of those jobs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we were taking, so a lot of the dudes that we were going after are were doing bad things. Yeah. And so... On a micro level, does that then help some people in that? Yeah, hopefully it does. If we look at it on, I mean, it, let's no one thinks it was a success. Afghan was a massive failure. Um, Why was it a massive failure? I think when I say that, if you're taking it on the facts of we were there for, what, a 10, however many years. And then within the space of, what, six months after leaving, it was back to, exactly what it you know taliban took back control within yeah. a matter of months yeah. after years and years of spending billions yeah. so i mean how can you not say that that isn't a failure
1: when you're going in how many of you are going in on a night shift with the head guards and whatever you're and trying to arrest someone or take someone out
0: it varies depends on the jobs um Towards the end, when it was more Afghan led, there was maybe 10, 15. Back previous to that, maybe in 30. On big jobs, it could be even more, but say take it on average 20 to 30. So it'll
1: be 20, 30 of you going in to do a job? Yeah. How do you know if someone's the Taliban or just a normal Afghan farm worker or what have you? You
0: take it on, so you take interpreters with you. And you do like biometric testing, was coming in, so fingerprint
1: scans and stuff, if they're already in the system. Or if they're trying to shoot at you. Mm. <laughs> there's a, there's <laughs> a another indicator. one. So, what's the? Is there a rule or a, or some sort of rule or law that yeah, you take, you've take got to take someone out before they take you out? Because if someone was pulling a shooter on me, I would want to take them out straight away. Is there something that you can't yeah. do that? Or do you have to then, if you did do that, you've then got to go and report it back and there's a big report to do and it could be a headache.
0: It's rules of engagement. So it's, yeah, you've got rules of engagement where it's it needs to be. It's almost, I guess, similar to the threat to life in the UK as in if you believe that your life is in danger and you have valid reason you need to be able to justify yeah. essentially what the actions um that you took or are taking mm. do you remember taking any people out i knew that question was it's always an interesting why do you think people are interested in that like as a i guess a civilized society why people find that as an interesting part of it mm. is what i always find because i was trying to think back you know james and i were chatting about this Before I joined the military, I think that was something I ever thought about. And it wasn't, I don't know anyone personally. And even when I was in, it's not something that's massive. You know, guys don't go around talking about how many people they've
1: killed or... No, they keep it. They keep it quiet. I find it quite intriguing on the mindset of it's either you four are about to kill me or I take you out before. I think it comes more down to you.
0: Everything that you do is for the people around you like it. And again, it comes back to the question of politics. I don't know anyone in the military that I served with that was doing that job because of they believe in some kind of belief of a greater good. Mm. They were doing that job because it was a job they wanted to do. And through that, the bond that you form with the people around you i guess just a more intense or extreme version of say a sports team that Mm. play for each other and you put yourselves on the line for each other that's what you're doing like everything is about the person next to you like when i think back you know the most i guess intense moments are you know you're flying in on that helicopter to do a job and you start to get a countdown so when you're 10 minutes out you're starting to sort of change your mindset and ramp up you know you may have been on the helicopter for an hour or so kind of dozing away because it's you know two in the morning and you okay 10 minutes out you're starting to ramp up you start to think about the job taking off the warm jacket and then it's five minutes out and now you're really starting to ramp out you're checking your weapons good to go your kit's good to go and then you're two minutes out and you're kneeling at the in two columns at the uh, back of the, the tailgate of the helicopter and you just got your guy over to your left and then yeah, I can feel the goosebumps mm. now. And you've got 60 seconds and the tailgate's coming down and you're coming into target and it's just you and that guy next to you. And that's that's all you're thinking about. It's like, I am going to do the job to the best of my ability for these people mm. next to me because I know that they will be doing that for me. So, yeah. And that's what everyone, and that's why I think when you leave the military, what you miss the most is that. And that's what everyone misses because you just cannot, you cannot, Create, recreate yeah. that in any yeah. other severe it's such an intense bond that you get mm. um, and that's what it's definitely what I miss mm. Mm.
1: interesting was there ever a moment you come unstuck and thought shit I'm in trouble here the closest one I had on operations
0: no there was probably one I actually went on one of the the last tours that I did there was, we were clearing a compound and I was on a corner and it was pretty much cleared and nothing had been found. So we were like, oh, it's going to be pretty quiet. And then about 20 meters along the wall from where I was, grenade went off and a load of machine gun fire erupted. One of our guys got, and one of the Afghans we were with, got frag from the grenade. What's and frag? so like the bit um the fragments coming the fragments, off, okay, yeah, yeah. off the fragments yeah the yeah, yeah. grenade took some frag and it kicked off a, a whole load of dust and your night vision goggles you couldn't see anything and i knew so the guy that got hit uh, was off somewhere beyond that and whoever the, the insurgents that were firing was somewhere in that and firing through this dust cloud that you can't see and i basically then knew i had to cross across that to get to the other side where because it had come across the radio that one of our other guys had gone to the guy that got frag needed help to pull him out and so you know you have to go across this open space essentially where Sitting that fire is coming through yeah. but you don't even i think that's the point of that bond it, it, it doesn't even come the, the question of whether to do it or not isn't it doesn't even come up it's more of a case of a quick well this is happening then <laughs> And you, you just kind of do it. But actually one of the, the only time or one of the closest times where I thought I was really gonna sort of something really bad was gonna happen, or I was gonna catch it up, either end up severely injured or, or worse, was actually climbing, like on a climbing course in special forces down in Devon of all places. And, you know, long story short, because you put your own protection in when you're climbing, you're kind of putting little bits of kit into the rock. And I was climbing up and I was nearly at the ledge where it was kind of the safe point and my foot slipped. And I fell and all the bits that I put in started to pull out. So I was falling and it almost goes in slow motion. I'm just hearing ping, ping, ping as like each bit of kit comes out. And so in my head, and it's not even, it's not even a panic. It's almost an acceptance of, well, this is going to fucking hurt. Mm. And the very last piece held and I swung down, smacked into the rock and I stopped a foot maybe from the ground. <laughs> and the guy who was holding the other end of the rope was feeling with me was like, at ghost white. Because <laughs> he thought he just about to witness. Oh, but it is, you know, training, training, you know, it has to cut in many ways as close to the bone as possible. And through, you know, there was a, a guy unfortunately died on my boat's course. Um, another guy survived but got shot on a different course. On my parachute course, two guys collided at 500 feet and fell to the ground. How they didn't die, I don't know, but shattered ankles, broken pelvis, ruptured spleen, wow. shoulders. Because it's just the nature of that world. By its very nature, it
1: how did the has guy? Like that. How did the guy die in the boat?
0: He drowned so drown we we're doing drills um, where were you that was down in devon again as well
1: okay. yeah what sort of drills were you doing
0: just gen it was just surf drills we we're just doing just doing de- uh, general um nothing crazy
1: it was just unfortunate it, was, it wasn't no one did anything wrong it was just an unlucky accident what sort of drills were you doing in training once you're in the sbs you're not in afghan you're not uh, iraq or wherever you're back here training i see a lot of the helicopters go off the coast here yeah they, is it true they drop you off like three miles out and go right, make your way back? No, no. Okay, <laughs> okay. Good. I've never. there's yeah. some rumors flying around. Then I've, I've <laughs> not. Yeah, I've not done
0: that. It's just like again, it's nothing. There's nothing particularly
1: crazy about it. Yeah, but I think you're very humble, saying it's nothing too crazy about it. And when we're talking here, this is a whole new world to ninety nine point nine percent of people yeah. listening to this. And I reckon there's a lot of crazy shit that you boys got up to because I've got some friends who've uh, been serving and are still serving in SBS and stuff, and they're they've all got a, they're all on another level. But it's
0: I think this comes back to again, what people perceive it as hard. Actually, it's a really easy life, and what I mean by that, and even on operations, mm. people think that that is hard. In many ways, it's easier than day to day life. And what I mean by that is when you're doing something that really aligns with who you are and you love what you're doing, mm. even though stuff is hard, it's actually easy. Yeah. And actually the life as a soldier, because like I said, so much is yeah, you have to worry about the dentist, mm. medical stuff. Like if you want to eat on camp, like it's all taken care yeah. of. And on operations, life is simple. So all you have to worry about is, is my kit good to go? That's basically it. Am I ready for the job? You know, physical training, you've got the gym, go to the gym, do Mm. your training, go and do the job. So outside of, let's remove, okay, if something traumatic happens and repercussions of that, but outside of that, it's a simple life. You're with your mates, going to the gym, sunbathing, going out doing jobs and then coming back. You don't have, there's no commute, you're not in traffic, there's no bills to worry about, you're not having an argument. It's it's simple. It, It removes all of the stresses that make, life hard for a lot mm. of people and it you know my stark contrast with it i in my entire military career i cannot think of a time where i remember being stressed about things yeah. i was pretty happy the entire time when i left and got a job in corporate london those two years were more stressful for yeah. me than anything i ever mm. did in the military it's
1: a lot it's a, very similar to the rugby boys they're in a bubble for 10 years bubble is the word yeah you're in a bubble where you've got your yeah. mates you're taking the piss you're having a laugh it's camaraderie it's yep. community it's food it's fighting for each other on the pitch as you guys looking after each other was there ever a point in the eight years when you were in the sbs go i can't be doing this for the rest of my life i need to see what else is out there that's that's why i left i
0: for me it was a the, strange thing is that i always knew i wanted to be in the military but i always knew that it wasn't going to be something that i would do forever i didn't want to do the full career and i think once i passed selection having driven towards such a big goal for a long time although i enjoyed the job afterwards i think i already started to get that itch of like what's what's the next big challenge what what can i do and by the time i left I'd done selection, I'd done three tours, I'd done everything I wanted to do. And I just asked myself, if I leave now, will I regret it? And there was some, you know, a few other bits that would have been good to do, but that could have happened in 12 months or I could have waited five years. And so I decided to to leave in my early 30s rather than later. And I didn't know exactly what I was gonna do, but I knew it was something I knew I needed or wanted another big challenge. And the reason I went to to London was purely my partner at the time got a job there. So I was like, well, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, the corporate world and going through that. And then about two weeks
1: into it. I was, Shocker. That was definitely not. Were you like getting a tube into work, wearing a oh, suit man. in a, in an office with, you must have been piss boring it's, you. It just like did a The little... contrast.
0: Yeah, it did. Yeah, tube into London, management consultancy. Very lucky. You know, the company that I work for, was great the people were really great but it just didn't the only way i can what describe was the, com- it what is the is company it, it was called rise management consultant okay so it was i was i had a project in covent garden it's like <laughs> going for sbs to a project in covent garden capco <laughs> who own all the property there were redoing all of the lighting so it's project managing that so, i would turn up to meetings in capco like be, Eng- engineers, M&E guys, architects laying out all
1: this, I had no yeah, idea yeah. what, so you're kind of cuffing it but but you're a good team player and you're good at building teams around you and camaraderie. It's organisation. Organised, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I, I, but that whole thing, because it, what I realised very quickly was that it just wasn't me, didn't align with me and it's almost like a friction between who you are and then the life you're living yeah. and that was the first time you know, felt stressed about stuff, started to lack consistency in my training, problems like all of those other things. And this is where I think that alignment piece is so key because if I look at my journey, so at that point I realized, okay, that this isn't for me. I need to figure out what it was. And so I really set about that. Realized that it was business in some sense. I was like, right, so I want to be my own boss. And specifically, I want a digital business. So, that, so I want geographical freedom and yep. work from everywhere. Teamed up with John, who I'd been in the military with and then made every mistake in the book you know we read all the books on entrepreneurship and business and we chased cash in the beginning tried yeah. loads of random random
1: things so were you do were you were you did you have a side business while yeah. you're being paid so you were getting your yeah. how much were you on in the city then like 50 50 grand 50, yeah. at the same time thinking i'm definitely not this is definitely not for me we yeah. need to be building something on this idea yeah okay so that and what yeah. was that thing on the side Mate, every, we did. tried everything. Mate. Go on, give me, give me imported
0: stuff from China, selling okay. it on Amazon. Yeah, we had some random like betting <laughs> thing where some some dude in like Slovakia logging in to like do spread betting stuff, mate. I'm, oh, mate, i was speaking to him. I remember you'd like Skype him. I mean, we just it looked like an Eastern blocky He'd be on a wire bed, like smoking yeah. a cigarette, like. <laughs> Like it's so <laughs> random. So we did all these random things. We had, so John can code. So we had this little software that Who's we started John? to build. John, business, yeah, business Yeah, business partner that I was in, in the, so that I served yeah. with. And we basically ended up, we chased cash, all failed. After two years of working that corporate job and side hustle, basically lost, both of us lost all of our savings. So everything we saved in the military, yeah. like blown it all on these side hustles and work, you know, spent countless hours, which probably contributed to the relationship ending and so at that point we're like well we've got no cash we luck you know i'm very grateful for it we both moved back into my parents back mm. in worcestershire on mm. the farm so two blokes mid 30s broke we shared a ford focus that cost 400 quid <laughs> Mate, we used to organize because we were single at the time if we were going to organize dates we'd organize them at the same venue at the same time genuinely the two so, yeah, so, to- share the, so we share the car to drive there <laughs> <laughs> so like back to zero but at that point we were like right we've, we've got nothing we're back at the beginning let's just do something we actually care about yeah. and are passionate about which for us was always mindset and before it's like even in the military and it's changed a bit now it's now caught up a lot but at that time like no one was really you know we were the only guys doing crossfit was just coming in yeah like it wasn't big this was 2000 and 2009 and everyone was just classic bodybuilding. Yeah. It was probably me and a handful of other guys wearing vibrant, fine figures and doing doing CrossFit. Now mm-hmm. the whole gym set was yeah. CrossFit, yeah. and so we were always looking for that kind of edge. And even you know before Dave Brailsford and Team Sky and One Percent, we'd read about um, it was Clive Woodward who first. I don't know if you've seen the Building Jerusalem documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Clive Woodward and he'd heard about it from a sailor. Like he was the first guy to really implement that in a sports team and he did it with that 2003 he implemented the the marginal gains one percent rule and so we from that point when i heard about that you know we really took that on board and applied it to everything we're doing so we're like let's just start a business around that and that's where the natural edge came from but the point on being aligned with what you're doing you know in the military on the face of it very hard but aligned to who i was i cared about it therefore easy Mm. london well-paid, suc- you know, look successful from the outside. Yeah. Stressed, not happy, not finding fulfillment. Yeah. Stone broke, mid-30s when all your friends are buying houses and getting yeah. married, living back with your parents, yeah. look shit from the outside. Again, feeling happy and fulfilled because yeah. I'm on the right path. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm doing something that I care about. So it's this point that reg- it does play into it, but generally, regardless of external circumstances, how happy and fulfilled you are has a lot more to do with how much are you living in line with what you value, with mm-hmm. who you really see yourself mm-hmm. as? Because that, if you get that right, everything else becomes easier. Yeah. If
1: you get that wrong, everything else is harder. Yeah. So just going back there, the natural edge. Tell me about the natural edge in your business. Yeah. So
0: it's been, we've done again because every journey is a process you know how it started in the beginning is very different now in the beginning we thought it was going to be more of a one and done service so training nutrition mindset sleep you know come and do it we'll do it all and over the years it's transitioned to where we are now which is basically pure mindset and performance because what we've seen is Everything we do is driven by mindset. Yep. Like all of your behaviors, your thoughts, everything comes... You know, the mind is primary. And so if you're struggling for most people, you're know, struggling with, say, going to the gym, the blocker is generally not the, the functional aspects of that, as in physically going to the gym. It's the mindset yeah. that means you're not getting up or you're not going after yeah. work or whatever it is. And so if you can win that battle and make changes there, everything else becomes easier. Mm. And I would say that the people most of the people that come to us we don't deal in trauma or anything around that it's the more general life piece of i've got all the pieces of the puzzle to be happy you know i've got a decent job the family whatever it is and yet i i procrastinate too much i find it hard to switch off i worry about things too much out of my control i lack self-belief in myself in one or several areas and lack of purpose does come up, you know, for a lot of these people, they've kind of got to thirties, forties, and they've kind of been driving, got to a point in their career or got the house. And then it's like, well, oh, what's next? Yeah. What does the next 10, 20 years of my
1: life look like? I think a lot of those people at that age in those sort of forties, a lot of depression kicks in because you, know, you could be 40 and you could be able to a wonderful job in your twenties and everyone's go, oh, he's jumped Look at the salaries on when you get into your 30s and 40s or late 30s 40s you're still doing that same job but you're stuck because you can't go and find something else that's when a lot of a lot of men start to get depressed they've got a mortgage they've got around the neck they've got a job they don't enjoy going to they got a couple of kids maybe a kid in private school you know they've got all these bills to meet but actually deep down are they happy it's what I, a couple of things i hear a lot
0: are stuck in a rut yeah. groundhog day yeah. um, someone summed it up once I was chatting to a guy on the phone he said I feel like I'm trapped in the modern life cycle of work. I feel softer. I feel less resilient. Yeah. It's like you've lost that excitement and drive mm. of the 20s, and now you're looking for that next thing. And the, the biggest mistake, and what our core ethos is, is that people don't treat mindset as a skill set. Mm. What I see most of the time is, you know, everyone understands that to change the physical body, you have to take action and be consistent like you can't just listen to a podcast or read a book on diet Mm. and expect to lose weight Mm. and yet with mindset that's what everyone does people will read a book or listen to a podcast Mm. and then wonder why a few decades worth of neural pathways patterns and behaviors aren't changing Mm. like it's bonkers when you Mm. think about it yeah and yet we don't really have we've almost so we've got on the one hand those books and podcasts and then on the other end of the spectrum you've got therapy and it doesn't seem there's this what we... Something in the middle. That's what, yeah. we, what we have done is over five years of studying and learning as much as possible about behavior change, the psychology, the neuroscience and working with people is just deconstructed that into a practical step-by-step framework mm-hmm. whereby people can actually be consistent with these changes, start changing those behaviors. Because until you do that, until you put that work in and make it an active process, you're just not going to change. Yeah. Like you, it's, it's the reason everyone loves to think that they're making conscious, logical, rational decisions mm. every day. Mm. But the fact of it is, and the research is clear, you're not. And it's very easy to see for yourself that you're not, but the sense of how many times do you say you're going to do something oh, i'm definitely going to go to the gym i'm definitely not going to eat this i'm definitely you know i'm going to focus on my work or whatever it is or i'm not going to do these things and then you do the opposite and it happens time and time again if it was as simple as just logically telling yourself i'm going to do this or not do this and then following it through well no one would need any help we'd all have six packs be millionaires yeah, yeah. but the fact is we don't and it's because we're driven by our core narrative by the the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see the world, and that is pretty much informed by all of your experiences, the education systems you've been through, the environments you've been in, and evolution ties into a bit from the day you were born to where you are now. And it's you know why do you wear the brands that you wear? Like why why do you wear that brand that you're wearing now? Why am I wearing this mm. shirt? You're wearing it because that ties into your identity why someone liberal why is someone conservative why does someone find a joke funny and someone else find it offensive you're always going to act out of that internal narrative but most of the time it's sitting at that subconscious level unless you understand really like the, the the true reasons why you are or aren't thinking or acting or behaving in a certain way you're gonna find it very hard to change. The analogy I usually use is people try and force action at the point of action itself, i.e. I am gonna force myself to go to the gym. I am gonna force myself to focus. And what you're trying to do there is almost control or stop an avalanche when you need to be looking at the snowball. Yeah. You need to understand, well, why am I thinking about this? Like Why am I trying to force things? Because force relies on motivation and willpower, which are useful tools but they're pretty much misunderstood and used in the wrong ways. It, it comes back to that identity piece. You really need to understand yourself and why you yeah. do or don't act in a certain way and
1: then change it. Powerful stuff, Jeffers. Powerful. Going is, deep, mate. It? No, it's good, mate. Really yeah. good. You, you're talking complete sense. Do you, <laughs> yeah, mate, just, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's fantastic to hear. I like how you've transitioned from the SBS Special Forces. You've gone and done two years in, in the city, realised this is definitely not for me you've then got to set up your business now who's your ideal customer our ideal customer are people i'd say 35 35 to
0: 45 maybe you know early 50s got to a point in life again where they have the piece of the puzzle male female it's generally males we have and i think that is just perhaps that's the background yeah. or the fact that we're you know guys hill more to guys yeah. I, I don't know but that's generally who um who we attract so more guys got the pieces of the puzzle so generally got a good job being successful you know business owners managers some kind of um you know good level or higher level position usually got the family or a married and yet it is all those things are listed are just something feels out of place mm. don't feel fully fulfilled and satisfied lacking self-belief somewhere i do procrastinate too much i worry too much and i I tell you what's really been interesting over the past few years of doing this is how many people feel like this that you would not think from the outside the most common thing is if you they say if you wrote my life down on paper and gave it to someone they'd be like this guy this person's smashing it you know what they're killing it in life And yet internally, they're not feeling like it. But because no one talks about this, mm. everyone kind of just deals with this in silence, mm. deals with it on their own. And I hear the same things over and over again on the calls. It's the same stuff. Mm. And it's, and I think it's quite eye-opening when people come in to our coaching because we have a couple of group calls a week and other people on the call. It's always really interesting for them to suddenly see other people opening up and talking about stuff and they're like
1: it's not just me why do you think that is then there's a massive smoke screen out there that Mm -hmm. oh you've got the nice house you've got a nice car you've got a wife everything's lovely but deep down there's a lot of men out there are still little boys because they haven't dealt with the trauma maybe from a seven eight nine ten eleven twelve year old for them to be able to move forward in life or they're actually stuck in life at the moment
0: yeah i don't in many cases it's not some people have got trauma in many cases it's not even trauma again it just comes the What's really good and why I love what we do is when you see someone and I hate to see it or someone sent me a message the other day, you know, through the different processes, techniques that we use, they're like, they have an epiphany moment yeah. and they suddenly realize why they're actually acting in a certain way. They're like, oh, fucking hell. Oh, of course, that's why I'm doing this. And once they have that, they're like, oh, okay, now I understand why I'm doing this and how I'm seeing it. I can change it. And the first thing I always say to people with this process before they come into the coaching, the only way this works is you've got to be ready to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Unless you are gonna really give and that's the hard this is harder in many ways than than any other work that you do because you have to be willing to look inside and look at parts of yourself that you perhaps don't like. Yeah. And when I first went through, you know, when I really started to to, to go through this process and really it was the work that I did myself that led into it you know I realized that I was great in a work sphere I had mm. a very growth mindset you know willing to fail and push myself but actually in relationships I had a very fixed mindset it was mm. kind of like well this is me and, you know take it or leave yeah. it because I can't change as opposed to oh actually if I start to have difficult you know if I actually have those difficult conversations that I don't want to mm. and I effort into working through it as uncomfortable as that feels well funnily enough i suddenly start to get better relationships yeah. but it was only through that admittance of well like is so," and this is something that i do now all the time i ask myself when something comes up is that the truth or is that a belief yeah like is so if i get you know if i'm getting frustrated by something or i'm seeing something in a certain light and it just doesn't feel right the first thing i do is step back and ask myself mm. well why why am i feeling Mm. like that and and what's the belief behind this how am i how do i think it is what is the belief of myself that's driving this and what's the truth Mm. because you know the belief was oh i'm fixed this is me take it or leave it Mm. i can't change but the truth was well yes you can change but in order to change you've got to be willing yeah you want to yeah yeah. to say yeah okay i'm not that good at this i'm falling down in this i'm you know perhaps not um opening up emotionally or whatever it is but it's so when you when you do that although it's hard it's also positive because we've all got parts of ourselves Mm. that you know aren't great or that we don't like but once we see that or are willing to look at it then you can start to change Mm. and that and that's when people make those breakthroughs and start
1: to really feel good again Mm. do you get a buzz of people making big breakthroughs for your course
0: yeah yeah, it is, it is when you see someone, and like, you know the testimonials page that we've got now, and it's the simple things. It's when people talk about their kids and their partners. You know, one that stands out is he said, "You know, my wife's got her husband back, and my kids have got their dad yeah, back because I'm not snapping at them. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not." And there was another one. It was actually a guy in America that I worked with, um, and it's we've got a little clip of it. You know, as a, a video chat I was having with him, and he said he was watching TV with his daughter. And he was laughing at something. And afterwards, she said, you know, Dad, you were laughing. And he said, yeah. And she said, but you were really laughing. She said, that's the first time I've seen you happy in a long time. She said, you know, when you were laughing before, it just seemed like you were kind of forcing it. But now, you know, I can see you're really happy. And that's, yeah, so powerful, I think. And again, we don't do anything. I don't think we do anything special. We just, we've taken that mindset we put it into a practical steps that people can follow Mm. and when they engage with it and they are
1: willing to do the work then it really opens Mm. you know opens it up for them Mm. which is amazing absolutely this is fantastic really really powerful stuff where can people find you where can they find your business where can they find you if there's someone out there listening now going you know i love what i'm hearing here i want to get involved i want to get in contact with jeffers i want to find out how much it costs what the course is what have I got to do to move forward?
0: The easiest ways are so on social media. It's the Natural Edge, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, just start a TikTok. Um, so all of those, all of natu- are the Natural, Natural Edge. Edge. Okay, all the Natural Edge, and then same with the website, thenaturaledge.com. dot com. And if someone wants to reach out to you personally, just drop a yeah, you know, just drop me a message. I always get back to people. So whatever of those platforms or an email, whichever is easiest, just drop me a message. Can anyone get your LinkedIn? Yeah.
1: Simon Jeffries on LinkedIn so it's
0: Simon Jeffries on LinkedIn yeah. yeah so it's under my name on LinkedIn Jeffers on there yeah. Jeff,
1: Jeffers and Dodge LinkedIn professionalism <laughs> yeah, yeah. professionalism <laughs> Professional, yeah. So yeah mate I've really thoroughly enjoyed this and I really do appreciate you coming in and I, I love your honesty I oh, appreciate it well thank you for having me on Yeah, has really good good chat yeah mate I've loved it good man thank you very nice much nice one Jeffers good man